Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 2. And it is Friday's podcast. I'm joined by Philip. Philip, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. It's getting late and I'm getting tired. Yeah, we're actually recording this on a on a Thursday evening, getting ready for tomorrow. So full disclosure here, it's not Friday for us, but a little bit later in the day. And uh, we uh, look at this passage and as we read through it, you're going to hear some interesting things, some strange things. The book of Zechariah is a different book. You've got a man who has returned from exile from Babylon. They're encouraging the Israelite people to finish the project of rebuilding the temple and the walls. So here we have a guy that's a, he's a contemporary with Haggai, and they have been home, and things are just not great. They've returned from exile. They had 70 years in Babylon. Uh, the Persians allow them to come home, but things are just not good. So we're going to read through this entire chapter of Zechariah chapter 2, and then we'll uh, get some insight from Philip as usual. We're going to have some wonderful insight tonight on this passage. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him. And said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls, because of the multitude of the people and the livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire around, declares the Lord, and I will be glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell in the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For you touches you, touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become a plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I come, and I will, do, I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Now, Philip, as we read this, the, there may be the question people are asking, why? Would we read Zechariah too? What what purpose does this serve for us today? I and mean, this is not just a history lesson, is it? No, um, it isn't. It is and it isn't. There is a history lesson, and uh, unfortunately, like a lot of history lessons, very little was learned from it. Um, they've been put into captivity because they did not follow the Lord's way and he's bringing them back and they're going to turn right around and do exactly what they did before he took them in the first time and the next time he's not going to put them into captivity he's just going to scatter them across the face of the earth and forget them so yes the first nine verses of this chapter definitely are are dealing with a prophetic view of what's going to happen when the people come back and uh, come back to Jerusalem and to Judea and, uh, and set up government again. 
However, it doesn't say very much about what their future will be. So we have to read in other places to find out uh, what happened to them in terms of the fact that they failed uh, again, all over again. But the, the other part that is a history is a continuing history in which we find ourselves uh, living in. And I think the most valuable thing for a Christian today and reading this passage is not so much the history of the Jews return from Syria or Persia as uh, it is the coming of the Messiah. The, the Old Testament prophets, as I mentioned earlier, deal with two things. In my opinion, this is how I see it. I'm not an Old Testament scholar, uh, not anywhere near, but this is how I see it. The prophets tell us about what the Jews are doing wrong. And uh, we ought to learn from that. If you do these things, God's not going to be pleased with you. You're going to be punished. But also, the prophets deal with how God's going to straighten it all out in the end and make things right. And that's about the coming of the Messiah and the creation of the new heavens and the new earth and, and, uh, and establishing a new kingdom. And so the second part of this chapter uh, is actually about that, about, about how that's going to work out. And that's the part that we should be, I think, interested in. And the whole ten, the, the tenor of the passage changes somewhat when you get to verse uh, 10. Sing and rejoice. And the, and the reason for that is that, that God is coming and, and uh, God is coming uh, to be in their midst in, in a real way. And, and that is the promise that we find in the coming of Jesus. He came in the midst. And ever since that time, he, the Godhead, has been in our midst, in the midst of his people. That, that has not changed. And, we, and so we ought to be singing and rejoicing. Why not? God's living with us. He came to earth to dwell with us physically, and then he allowed us to be with him spiritually so that we're, we're in his presence spiritually even now. And uh, I love, I love verse 11. I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful verse uh, because it says some things uh, that are really important for the Christian not just what it says, but what it doesn't say. We know that when God called the people out of Egypt, they did not voluntarily come. In fact, the truth of the matter is they were pretty well drugged. Right across the Red Sea, they were drugged across the wilderness, they were drugged to the mountain. And when they got to the promised land, you couldn't even drag them in. It took 40 years. To get them into the promised land. So you can't really say that they just jumped all over the idea of coming with God. God picked them up. God chose them. God led them. God drugged them. God pulled them, pushed, punished, exhorted. And even when they got in there, they couldn't get it right. They messed that up once they got in. And all the things he said you need to do, they, they couldn't get done. 
And yet here's this passage saying that, that it, when, when the Jews are done and this new time comes under this Messiah, that that'll be reversed. God is not going to be dragging anybody anywhere. But it, it says, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord. Hear that? Yeah. The nations will join themselves. The people will come to God. It's not God's not going to go out and round them up and drag them in like he did the Jews. Now it's uh, you get to be chosen, but you only get to be chosen if you come. You don't come. You're not chosen. God's not dragging you. God's not pushing you. God's not going to beat you into the promised land. It's all voluntary. And I just think that's a wonderful passage of saying how different things are in the Christian dispensation. Jesus comes and he makes it plain. He, he, you know, he, Pilate says, okay, so you're a king. You're going you're gonna to be in charge of things. Jesus said, well, no, not really. If that were the case, we'd have a major war here. I'd force people to do what I want them to do. But we're not forcing anybody. Because my kingdom's not of this world. You have to come. If you want to be in it, you have to come and join it. So he goes out preaching the good news of the kingdom. What is he preaching? Is he preaching the kingdom is here and you accept it or else? Well, that's not good news. The good news is there. here's the kingdom and God has opened the door. There's an open door. And if you want to come in, you can come in. And if you don't, you will not get the benefits of the kingdom. And so he said, many people have joined them, join themselves to the Lord that day, and they'll become his people. What a wonderful thing. I can join myself to the Lord and become his. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and uh, there's no coercion. There's no coercion. It's my choice. If I'm willing to, to give myself, then it's, then it's my choice. And he says, and I'll, and I'll dwell in your midst. And what happens when he leaves? He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send the Spirit of God to dwell in your midst. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, you, the Holy Spirit's living in you, God in you. First, you had God in the world. Then you had God in the temple. Then you had God as the form of man living among us. Yeah, And then when he left, you had God, the spirit living in us. Whoa. That's an upgrade, it, I would think. Completely different, right? And so he said, and you shall know, he's, I'll dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. But now we're talking about a different Jerusalem. We're talking about the new kingdom. We're talking about the new Jerusalem. We're talking about the city with foundations whose builder and maker is God, not the one, not the one that was built and rebuilt and built and rebuilt. No, this is a new one, totally new one, a spiritual Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem. It's the one that the, uh, that the fathers of old, like Abraham, were looking for and uh, not to be found on this earth. And so, and so, uh, yes, Jerusalem, Jerusalem will definitely be chosen by God. But 
what he's choosing is the concept of the people of God coming to him in the heavenly Jerusalem as a part of his kingdom. And uh, for me, that kind of flies in the face of him choosing Jerusalem by having Jesus come back down and live in it again. And I don't see that in this or any other passage as far as that's concerned. Uh, It'd be kind of a downgrade to me, actually. (laughs) That would not be an upgrade, like what you see in this passage. It seems like what Zechariah is saying, that all of these were a a shadowy type pointing forward to a greater reality. You know, physical Jerusalem had its purpose. Judah, the, the tribe of Judah, had its purpose to give us the Messiah. But King Jesus now reigns in heaven from the right hand of the Father. And that's the, that's the reality, the, the new Jerusalem. What, what I think you said was really beautiful, the idea that, like Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, the nations will stream to this heavenly Zion, not, not so much you know Jerusalem and Mount, Mount Moriah, the physical Mount Moriah, but this heavenly Jerusalem. The nations will flow into this new kingdom that has no borders. God now occupies the entire world. Uh, you could even make it the entire universe. He's Lord over all. And I can't help but think of, as you're talking, John 1, 14, you know, you talked about God becoming a man. And in John 1, 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that kind of temple language there. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this glorious presence came in Christ. And now, as you said, God is with us through the Holy Spirit. We become like these many temples. We are his followers, that we have God's presence with us all the time is a, a beautiful concept. And, and the, the beauty of what you said, the, the nations will choose to come to God. They're not going to be drug kicking and screaming. They come to God because of the gospel. They want to be in Christ. They want this salvation. They're coming. They're streaming. Hard, hard to find a place in the world where there aren't followers of Christ. Oh, yeah. It's universal kingdom. It's a universal kingdom for sure. And it's the first, uh, as Oz Guinness said, it's the first global movement ever. How about globalization? Well, Christians, we're ahead of the curve on that one. We, we've been a global movement since day one. <laughs> and it, it's funny, too. This idea of singing, one thing that's, that marks Christianity, I was looking at, um, trying to remember the author that talked about this, but he said the difference that, that makes Christianity is so different is we're a singing faith. It's marked us since the beginning. We sing. Muslims are not known for their singing, but Christians are. We're a singing group of people. We're vocal in song because we're joyous because of this good news that Zachariah is pointing forward to. This is going to happen. and We sing about it. I, uh, I would like to add one thing in our reference to uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. In my Sunday morning Zoom class on Hebrews, this past week we were talking about how God moved things, uh, how there was Jesus as the Word, and then and then the Word stepped down, became lower than the angels, and lived on the earth, and then in the final state was exalted at the right hand of God. And there's this powerful idea of God dropping down and then going back. And this whole exaltation begins with a resurrection. And when Jesus gets back into heaven, there's this great 
exaltation, this wonderful, wonderful boost upward. And Jesus calls it as I had with you in the beginning, this, the status that I had with you in the beginning. Now, when you think about that, when you think about Jesus going to heaven and being exalted in heaven in the presence of God, being put at the right hand of God until the end of this time, then you ask yourself, at the end of this time, why would he who was exalted do what he did before when he was exalted and come to earth? What rationale do you have for Jesus coming back to Jerusalem, being a man again when he already did that, and now has been exalted to his previous state? Why would he do it a second time? Since salvation has already been procured, the sacrifice has already been made, and now he's exalted. Yeah, he's exalted. Daniel 7. <laughs> Daniel 7, he's exalted. Yeah. Yes. I love, I love where it says in Daniel 7, you made, you made me think of this now, Philip, but in Daniel 7, verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom and all peoples and nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that will not be destroyed. And that's that picture of Daniel seeing the vision of him ascending back into heaven. So there's this exaltation. And the so, words here, the key words, dominion, glory, kingdom, peoples, nations, every, I mean, this is a, an everlasting kingdom made up of all people. And this is kind of the picture I think Zachariah's painting. I really I don't know how many times it's mentioned in Hebrews 2, but quite a few times that he's been exalted above everything. Yeah. And uh, it, there's just no room. There's no room in what you just read. And there's no room in that concept for a thousand year reign on this earth. There's no room. Do you look at Colossians? Because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, not a thousand year kingdom. His kingdom is forever and ever, not for a few years or even a lot of years, as you want to look at a thousand being a lot. And his kingdom is not an unexalted kingdom. It's an exalted kingdom. And you can't have that on the earth. The exaltation comes in heaven. That's where things are exalted. He's in heaven now, the right hand of God, highly exalted. And there's just no room, as I see it, there's just no room to start looking for him to unexalt himself the second time to come back to earth and rule as a man. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right that the exaltation, that's the final act in the play. <laughs> and, and you know, I think that's what Zachariah's getting at here is. You're looking at the situation on the ground for them. They're back from exile. Things are not what they're supposed to be, but there's something greater coming. And so we should give glory to God that we get to experience that. We know in hindsight, 2020, we can look back post-resurrection, post-exaltation. And I think our reaction should be, as Zechariah says, we should be singing people, joyous people because of that. Well, I'm sure the people in Zechariah, they knew the answer. What we knew, they would be giving praise to God too. Yeah, look back at the passage you mentioned earlier, though, from Isaiah about the mountain of the Lord's house. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, I believe. Yeah, and, yeah. and just when you think about that passage of what it's talking about, uh, it just doesn't fit the concept of Jerusalem. Yes, this highest mountain, it'll be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations will flow to it. So there's this 
And that, you know, that's got a lot of language that echoes Hebrews, you know, all these nations will flow, this heavenly Zion, this heavenly Jerusalem, that's what uh, Hebrews is talking about, very much so, well, this has been good, Philip, we took a passage, well, better, you took this passage that when we started, we're wondering, okay, where is Zechariah 2 going to fit into the life of a Christian, and we see that it is powerful, uh, that we belong to this heavenly Jerusalem, that we understand the, the ultimate fulfillment of what Zechariah was talking about. We know. Now, they didn't, but we do by looking back through the lens of Jesus and what he did for us, and we're thankful for that. We're thankful that he reigns at the right hand forever with all dominion, and he's our king, and we can rest assured in that. Well, our city has no walls, no gates, in, in the sense that we could be kept out. We're the people who can flow and choose God. And if we come and choose God, God will choose us. I, I think that's the beautiful thing about this passage, that I am free to choose God. I am free to choose God. And uh, it's not because I'm elected or been pre-chosen. I get to choose. I get to choose. That's what he's saying. The people will decide to come to God. And that's a decision that anybody listening to us today can make. Well, I think you've said it best. I think that's a, a great place to close. Um, I can't say any better than that, that we get to choose to come to God and we have that free will. Philip, thank you, sir, for another good podcast and another thoughtful time in God's word. And we'll be back Monday, good Lord willing, as my dad says all the time. Uh, with the psalm on Monday, hopefully. On Monday. Hopefully. Philip, okay. you have a great weekend, my friend. Going to work on that. I'm going to try to have one, too. We're going to work on it. Okay. Too. God bless you, brother. Thank uh, you to the listeners for tuning in. Hope to see you back on Monday.